Our gospel reading and the words of our sermon text this morning, Luke chapter 17, verses 1 through 10. Jesus said to his disciples, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for that person if a millstone would be hung around his neck and he would be thrown into the sea than for him to cause one of these little ones to sin. Watch yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. Even if he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times returns to you and says, I repent, forgive him. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. The Lord said, if you had faith like a mustard seed, you could tell this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Which one of you who has a servant plowing or taking care of sheep will say to him when he comes in from the field, come at once and recline at the table? Won't the master tell him instead, prepare my supper, and after you are properly dressed, serve me while I eat and drink. After that, you may eat and drink. He does not thank the servant because he did what he was commanded to do, does he? So also you, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what we were supposed to do. We pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Lord, sanctify us by the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. My dear family in Christ, what would you say is the most difficult thing that the Lord has ever placed before you to deal with in your life? If you had to rank things on a scale from not the end of the world to earth-shattering, what would be the worst thing? Maybe the death of someone you love very much? Maybe fighting against some chronic illness or health condition? Maybe the, the brutal loss of a relationship and all the, the fallout that occurred from that? Maybe it was the loss of a job. Maybe it was some financial catastrophe and you're still trying to recover. And it turned your world completely upside down and, and maybe it caused you to wonder, Lord, why is this happening to me? And maybe it led you to pray, Lord, you know everything. You know what I'm going through here. Lord, I'm not sure I can make it through this. Give me a stronger faith. In these words of our text this morning, the disciples of Jesus felt as though they were up against something that was going to require far more faith than what they had. They wanted to do what Jesus was calling on them to do. They just didn't think they had enough faith to get it done. And so they, they made what sounded like a completely logical request. They said to their Lord, increase our faith. 
Let's think about that request this morning, and let's also ponder our Lord's response to it. So what exactly was it that Jesus had asked his disciples to do that prompted them to ask for this increase in faith? Well, actually, it was three things, and the first one comes to us in the first verse of our text. Jesus said, temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for that person if a millstone would be hung around his neck and he would be thrown into the sea than for him to cause one of these little ones to sin. So the first difficult thing Jesus was calling on his disciples to do was don't cause anyone to sin ever. Don't be the trigger for temptation. Don't tempt someone to do something that the Lord has forbidden them to do. Don't suggest that they do something sinful. And for heaven's sake, don't set a sinful example for them. You notice Jesus specifically mentions here little ones. Maybe Jesus was referring to little children. Those are sobering thoughts, right, parents? Little eyes are watching. Little ears are listening. Maybe Jesus was also referring to those who are grown up but are still young in the faith. Don't do anything, Jesus is saying, to harm their fledgling faith. But it's true for all of us, right? Don't cause anyone to sin. Watch yourselves, Jesus says. Watch your life. Watch the language you use. Watch the words that you speak. Watch your attitude. Because this is going to take some careful thought, friends, and some holy restraint. Don't cause anyone to sin. And the second thing, verse 3, if your brother, that is your fellow believer, if your brother sins, rebuke him. Christ is calling on us as members of the church to rebuke our fellow believers when they're caught up in some sin. Go in deep humility, go in a spirit of respect and love and concern, but go to that fellow Christian and point out from God's word that what they're doing with their life is sinful and urge them to repent of that sin. That's not easy to do, is it? We shy away from that because we're afraid of how that fellow believer might react to our words of rebuke. We shy away from that because we say, hey, I'm not perfect, so who am I to go and talk to that person about some sin that they're stuck in? But think about that. Do you really think that Jesus believed that those disciples to whom he first spoke these words were perfect individuals? Of course not. Pointing out some damaging sin doesn't mean that you're claiming to be without sin. You're just urging someone to repent of something that's harming their soul and, and driving a wedge between them and the Lord their God. Or maybe we think, look, this is none of my business, but isn't Jesus telling you here to make it your business out of love for that person? Your goal is always to lead that brother or sister to repent of their sin and back to the Lord's grace and mercy. If your brother sins rebuke him. That's not easy. And the third thing, Jesus calls on us to forgive those who have sinned against us. In fact, he says that if someone sins against you seven separate times in a single day and repents of that, that sin each time, that you are to forgive that person seven times. 
I mean, it's hard enough to offer genuine free forgiveness to someone when they've wronged you or harmed you one time, but seven times in the very same day? That's what the Lord was calling on his disciples and us to do. Don't do anything that will lead someone else into sin ever. Lovingly rebuke a fellow Christian who has sinned, leading him or her to repentance. Freely forgive those who sin against you, even if that person sins against you seven times in a single day. You know what? To their credit, the 12 disciples didn't look at Jesus and say, okay, I'm out, I resign. They didn't throw up their hands and say, well, that's impossible, Lord. They didn't respond with a lot of yeah, buts, or or all kinds of loopholes. They wanted to do what Jesus was calling them to do. They just didn't think they had enough faith to do it. And so they implored, increase our faith. I suspect that there may have been times in your life when you've asked the Lord to do that same thing for you. Situations in life where we know exactly what it is that our Lord expects of of us and calls on us to do We know full well what needs to be done, but we feel as though we just can't, for whatever reason, too weak, too tired, too timid, too afraid, too well aware of all that could potentially go wrong, too well aware of how we've messed up similar situations in the past. Lord, increase our faith. So let me ask you, if I hadn't read the end of that text and Jesus' response, if we stopped with the disciples' saying, Lord, increase our faith. How might you have expected the account to end? Lord, increase our faith. You might have expected Jesus to start grinning from ear to ear and say, you know what, I'm so glad you asked. Your request is granted. And then to infuse us with some supersized faith with a flash of lightning and trumpets blaring and angels singing but he doesn't. Instead, strangely, Jesus responds, if you had faith like a mustard seed, you could tell this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Well, Lord, that sure doesn't sound much like, okay, more faith, I'm glad you asked, here you go. What's Jesus saying here? I think he's helping us to see that it's not his will that we keep looking inside ourselves with some kind of a faithometer to see how much faith we have. Seems to me that Jesus is warning us that if we spend all of our time in life fretting that we don't have enough faith for this or for that, that we may never get around to using the faith that he has graciously planted in our hearts. Increase our faith. You don't need more faith. What you need is the kind of faith that when challenged focuses on the one whom it trusts in. Instead of how much or how deeply or how strongly you believe. Friends, let's be clear. Our faith is great, not because of the size of it, but because of the one in whom we trust. Faith is great when it's a faith that looks to Christ. 
That's the kind of faith exemplified in this example that Jesus gives in verses 7 through 9. The master doesn't serve his dinner to, to his hired man. Even if that servant had been out plowing and planting and harvesting or tending flocks and herds all day long, that was the hired man's job. That was the servant's job. The master expects the servant to carry out the work set before him. So the master doesn't owe his hired man a great big thank you note. The servant is doing his work. The servant was focused on his master. And that's the point, I think, that Jesus wants us to take away from that parable. That's why he says in verse 10, So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, We are unworthy servants. We've only done what we were supposed to do. Okay, so focus on your master, your Lord, your Savior. He's the one you serve. And you focus on him and what kinds of things you walk away with. Well, he's the king of love, loving the unlovable. He's the king of grace. He's giving us the, the exact opposite of what we have deserved. He redeemed us and he, he vows to us here that we will live with him forever in indescribable heavenly bliss as a free gift. I mean, this Lord, our Master, he blesses us with all the gifts that we need to serve him. And the grace that he's shown to us makes us want to do exactly that. Even if, even if we're doing great things for the Lord, even if we go ahead and faithfully carry out what he has called on us to do, we could never say, well, okay, Lord, look at all I've done for you. Now you owe me. That's backwards. When we begin with Christ and see all that we are and all that we have in him, we're eager to do what he calls us to do. We're eager to be what he made us to be, servants of his gospel who look to love and serve both him and our fellow human beings. So what's the most difficult thing you've ever had to face in your life? What are some of the difficult challenges in your life that you're facing right now this morning? What is it in life that has dropped you to your knees with this solemn request, Lord, increase my faith? Don't look inside of you for the answer. Don't tell yourself, well, I've got enough faith to get through it somehow. Instead, look to Jesus. See this love that has no limits. See the promises that he's made to you here in the Bible. Stop trying to read the tea leaves and the signs of your daily life and instead read the living and enduring word of God and believe his word. These words are truth and they are life. Learn to know Jesus better here in the pages of the word. Grow in the grace and knowledge of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's a faith that is great. Because see, when we look to him and what he has done for us in spite of the fact that we've deserved nothing but punishment, when we learn the lesson from the holy word of God that he has shown us nothing but grace on top of grace, then our faith wants to respond. We want to serve him by simply, eagerly, humbly doing what the, our Lord and Master has called on us to do. It, it doesn't take a larger quantity of faith. It takes the kind of faith that's all about Jesus.
Because see, when you look at your Savior and his nail-scarred hands and see there the evidence of his love, the evidence that you are fully and freely and forever forgiven, that's when you have the faith to go and forgive those who've sinned against you. It's the kind of faith that cares too much about others than to just let them continue on in some unrepented sin. It's the kind of faith that makes you want to guard your words and your actions and your attitude and your example so that you give God glory with your life and so that you don't lead anyone else to sin. It's the kind of faith that isn't looking for anything in return, but simply and humbly acts at the impulse of the love that your Lord and Master has shown to you. It's the kind of faith that responds to grace received with grace given. It's the kind of faith that is able to face all the worst that life throws at you with this calm trust in God's promise that he will work everything for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. The kind of faith that believes God's promise that neither height nor depth, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor anything in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's the kind of faith that trusts that our present troubles aren't worth comparing with the never-ending glory that will be revealed when Jesus comes again. And our humble plea is this. Lord, bless us with that kind of a faith. Amen.